Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough, coming to you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a cool program for you all today. I have no doubt you will learn, grow, and be inspired by today's show. Before we get into our main event, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and subscribe. Your likes and follows help ensure you won't miss any of our new shows, and it makes the algorithm gods happy, which helps us. So thanks for that. Also, be sure to visit our website, notrealart.com. Sign up for our newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse of everything we're doing here at Not Real Art for artists and art lovers. A lot of great stuff there. On the website, you'll see you'll get uh, free educational videos. You can sign up for our artist grant for the chance to receive $2,000. You can buy affordable original contemporary art through our partnership with Sugar Press. And you can become a supporter through Patreon if you want. So be sure to check out our website today for all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we have a fantastic human being, somebody I've met in recent years, actually during the pandemic when we were quarantining up in Mammoth Lakes. I met our guest today. We met through our mutual profession of podcasting. But we bonded over our mutual love for the outdoors and for art. Rick is an incredible photographer, and his photography largely focuses on the natural world as well as world travel. Rick will take his camera into beautiful back countries of California, Utah, Alaska, Mexico other places around the world, Nepal, Antarctica, <laughs> where has it, this guy been? But his photography is amazing, and he has a great podcast, too. It's a business podcast for the outdoor industry, because that's where he comes from. He hails through the outdoor industry, having built a, an amazing career, building brands in the outdoor space as a marketer. But our common love for for art, for photography, for travel brings us together. He happens to live in the eastern Sierra Nevada mountain range, a town called Bishop, California. 
where we have met many times for beers and food down by the Owens River. Rick's a fantastic human being, he's become a great friend, and I'm super grateful that he took time out of his busy schedule to come and talk with me today on this podcast about photography, about podcasting, about the outdoors, about life. And I definitely want you guys to check him out. Ricksayes.com, and that's spelt R-I-C-K-S-A-E-Z-S-A-E-Z.com. And check out his photography. It's incredible, beautiful, beautiful stuff. He's so humble, too, because he was saying, well, these places are so beautiful. All I have to do is point the camera and shoot. Yeah, but his execution is really phenomenal and just beautiful work. So without further ado, let's get into this with the one and only Rick Sayers. Rick Sayers, welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast. Thanks, man. I'm excited to be here tonight. This is going to be fun. Dude, I'm so stoked you're here. A, I've been wanting to do this for a while. But B, we, we, we haven't even known each other that long, but we've sort of become like instant friends. I'm so grateful yeah. for that. And, you know, part of the reason why I think we've hit it off is because, of course, you're an artist, you're a creative person, <laughs> and you do this amazing photography. And so you have that like sensibility that artists have. And, and I think, you know, you and I sort of, whether we realize it or not, kind of bonded over this mutual appreciation for artistic expression. And so I'm just grateful to have you on the Not Real Art podcast today. Well, I'm just thankful to be here. And I'm flattered that you've checked out my photography because we were talking before we hit the mic button. And I don't think we've ever talked about my photography when we're sitting out there by the Owens River having beers. So I'm, I'm glad that you checked it out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it was one of those things because we actually met right through the podcasting industry because we're both podcasters, obviously, and or at least when we're telling the world we are. We'll get back to that part. But yeah, one day as we were drinking beers on the banks of the Owens River, <laughs> you sort of casually Which I mentioned- missed, by the way. That's awesome. We're so overdue for that. Of course, yeah. you're there. You get to go when I'm not around and we'll, we'll talk more about that. But, <laughs> but yeah, so rub it in, asshole. Uh, <laughs> but I was there in spirit, but I do look forward to us having more beers together on the banks. But then one day you just sort of casually mentioned your photography and I sort of ran home and Googled it and man. You got the eye, pal. I mean, oh, this is gorgeous, gorgeous. Not only do you have the eye, but you have the technical prowess to execute. Well, I think that's all that comes, I don't know, somewhere along the line, I learned way back when that if you're going to do something, you might as well learn how to do it right, you know? And so you get all the tools, and like podcasting, you know how that goes. You got to have all the tools and all the editing and all that. So, but no, I appreciate that. And I'm that. still it's, not doing it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I blow it every once Trial in a while, Trial and too. error. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I've been lucky to travel to some great places and live in a great place. So I'm very fortunate. So what came first, the camera or the travel? Probably the camera because I picked up a camera, I think like a lot of folks, when I was in high school, junior high or high school. I took okay. I took a black and white photography class and one of my buddies had a – back when we had bomb shelters, you know, those of us that grew up in the 60s, we had bomb <laughs> yep, shelters yep. that turned into all kinds of things and he turned his into a dark room. So we went down and we're developing film and whatnot and yeah, just grew from that. And then just all the – you know, I've always been active. My parents took us camping and stuff, so I've always been able to go to great places and it just became a natural thing to take along and do while I was out in these all these fabulous places. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so that's that's really cool, right? Having a high school with even a photography program. I mean, like, my Might God, that doesn't happen anymore. I think about it, but yeah, one or the other, yeah. Where about in the world did you grow up? I grew up in Fontana, California. Just oh, east woo-hoo. of you. Yeah, out there in the Inland Empire. It was a steel town back then, back in the 60s and 70s. We were... I had a lot of smog then. I remember I worked at a J.C. Penney's in high school and there was the, you know, our, our town is right next to the mountains up there, the beautiful Mount Baldy and all that stuff. And on a clear day when the wind blows, it's amazing. And this woman came out to, from New York, just moved to town and we kept talking about the mountains and she'd lived there for like a month. And she's like, what mountains are you talking about? Because on a smoggy day, you couldn't see them. And then the wind blew one day and she, she just looked up and went, oh, those mountains. <laughs> and we climbed all those peaks. You know, that's part of the outdoor connection too, you know, hiking and fishing all in those those places. Right. So, yeah. Right. Fun. So when you then started really enjoying the backcountry, so to speak, whether it was, you know, mountain trails or whatever, did you did you always take your camera or did your camera, did you eventually say, oh, I should bring my camera? I got connected to the mountains way before I had a camera. My grandfather okay, okay. was big into hunting and all that. So I was gotcha. hunting as soon as I could, you know, I could old enough to carry a gun, deer hunting. Up so the outdoors really hunting. came first. And then at some yeah. point, once you started yeah. shooting in college or whatever, you said, I'll, I'll take my camera along. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, and it feels like you've carved out, I mean, your career in terms of your photography, you, you sort of have organized your work around three kind of major themes, travel, adventure, landscape. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That just made sense because I have been to a lot of great places. So it's kind of hard not to take a great photo in some of these spots. You just show up at the right time. And granted, there's some technical things you need to run on the back end to produce and edit all those things, but it just seemed like a natural. And then the active side of me, I've always been active, adventurous. So the adventure travel part got me into climbing Kilimanjaro and rafting in Alaska and all these places. So it just made a natural step there. And then landscapes are just, you know, it just happens to be there and living in the Eastern Sierra and having proximity to Yosemite and Death Valley. It's, it's amazing. Rick, you're rubbing it in again, man. I want to call it <laughs> Get out. Get your ass up here, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so envious, as you know, and my audience may or may not know. My wife and I have a holiday place up there, a little cabin, and as we like to refer to it. And so- you know, you and I, when I get up there, you and I get to get together and have beers on the banks of the Owens River. And yet I live in LA full time. So you're up there living in God's country 24 seven. So I have jealousy. I'm, I'm, I'm envious. It's fun. You know, you got the faster internet down there. You got the faster squirrels. So it's, it's benefits down <laughs> the there. The faster but... squirrels. By the way, <laughs> let's have some squirrel races. All right. Let's organize some wagering will be allowed. Bring your fastest squirrel. By the way, we're on to something here, my friend. Yeah, I don't know. They have diseases, those squirrels. I would stay away from them. <laughs> well, you know, you get people to handle them. Right, yeah, right. You get some right. hand, squirrel, squirrel handlers. Wrestlers. Squirrel wrestlers. <laughs> squirrel wrestlers. Exactly. That could be a good yeah. t-shirt, actually. Any uh, creators right. out there, do a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, write this down, by the way. This is actually gold. Oh, no, I guess we're recording it. We don't we're recording there, right? I mean, yeah, it'll, be, it'll be transcribed at some point. <laughs> oh, man. So you've been lucky enough to travel and shoot all over the world. What are your three favorite places in the world that you'd love to travel and, and shoot? Wow. You know, well, the first one is my backyard. I mean, I think there's just, you know, there's a reason that Yosemite and, and the Sierra are called the Range of Light, and it's just spectacular. All up and down the Sierra, 
I've been fortunate to photograph from, you know, way down south in Independence all the way up through Nevada and, and the north. And it's just wherever you go, it's just fantastic. And then a secondary place that I've been to a couple of times is Utah. The Canyonlands and Zion and all those places, they just have some spectacular parks that are amazing. And then I've been to Alaska a number of times as well. It's probably my third favorite. I've been ran a couple of rivers in Alaska and it's a fantastic spot. There's so much wildlife that you get in the mix up there that you don't get down here and the great sceneries and the great landscape and mountains and rivers. And it's just, it's amazing. So those are probably my top three. Right on. And of course, no place like your backyard. You've been here. I mean, you've seen the sunsets that we get and the lenticular clouds and sunrises and, you know, snow on the peaks and not snow on the peaks and the fall color here is, I was out there shooting this past fall and never really realized, but for some reason this fall, maybe it's COVID and being cooped up, but really, I think that's my favorite time to photograph on the Eastern Sierra, up and down from, you know, from Mono Lake down to, to Lone Pine. It's just, if you catch it all right, it's just unbelievable. The cover, colors are just fantastic. Now, how'd you end up there? My grandfather lived here for a bit. And so we were started coming up here when I was a kid. I actually learned to drive up here. And I skied, so we would come ski into Mammoth and come up to visit him. And he took me hunting. You know, we shot rabbit and deer and whatnot up here. And he was a very avid outdoorsman. He used to say, come on, let's get in the truck. We're going to go monkeying around. And we'd just go driving around looking for stuff, you know, doing things. <laughs> Sometimes we'd take shotguns and look for rabbits. Sometimes we'd fish. Sometimes we'd just drive around and, and look, you know. And and so that's how I ended up up here, the family vacations and whatnot. And eventually made it my home. Lucky you, man. Lucky yeah, you. pretty lucky. Pretty fortunate. It's a good spot. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, just to be clear for the audience, and I'll mention this in the intro, but we are talking about the Eastern Sierras in California. Inyo County, Mono County. Yeah, Inyo County, Owens Mono Valley. County. So all the way up, you know, Yosemite National Park, uh, Mammoth Lakes, uh, down to Bishop Mount Whitney, the, the highest peak in the lower 48 in your backyard. This is a spectacular world-class terrain. Yep. It's amazing. It's amazing. So you mentioned shooting in the fall. Mm -hmm. Just a few minutes ago, you talked about you were doing some shooting in the fall. When you think about shooting, what is that like? I mean, is it very random and sort of you're just like when inspiration strikes or do you think about it strategically about, no, 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 I want to want to go here during this time, capture this photo? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was doing, I created a presentation for the Eastern Sierra Interpretive Association last year. And I was writing kind of, you have probably like me, you've written your bio a million times for your podcast. Oh, I hate and, writing bios. And, I, hate <laughs> I do too, right? But I didn't realize until I was probably over 50 years old, but I've always been a visual and auditory person. Yeah. And, you know, sound and color and shapes and textures, they just always capture my soul. And- Oftentimes, as I've gotten older, I'm frequently by myself out taking pictures or whatever, and I just feel the vibe and the energy. And so I'm not sure, I think it's visual through photography because when you're out there shooting fall or you're, you're freezing your ass off on a cold winter morning here and the, the light is just kind of coming up over the white mountains to the east and the Sierras are starting to get you know that, that red, it just moves you. I mean, I don't know how it can not move you. And I think that just is what I look for. And then as I've gotten more proficient and older, I do a lot of times now go out and have something in mind that I'm looking for. Either a shot that I haven't gotten in my arsenal that I want to get or something that I know 
through years of living here that, you know, this is going to be one of those mornings. You better get your butt out of bed and go out there because there's clouds, there's this, there's that. And, you know, you wake up and it's two degrees and you don't want to go and, you know, like, but you warm up the car and pour a thermos of coffee and get your ass out there. And sure enough, you just, sometimes you forget to take the picture. It's like, oh, geez, I missed the peak of the sunrise. I better shoot a photo here because you're just out there in awe of what's happening. It's really, it's, it's pretty amazing. A lot of times it's both. A lot of times I just get out there and get moved, but generally yeah. I have something in mind when I go these days. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're still hunting. You're just hunting with your camera now. It is about, you know, morning light and evening light, right? Like, you know, you fight thinking about it in terms of the lighting is so key, right? But now it's a big jump, right? For an artist, whether you're a photographer or a painter or whatever, it's a big jump from making the art and selling the art, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a scary thing. Well, I've jumped. I'm not sure I've landed yet. So. No, no, no. Well, yeah, you're still free of falling, right? It's a scary decision, right? Because it's easy to be in love with our work. It's very vulnerable. You put yourself out there to, you know, it's scary to, to see what other people think. Do, is it going to be validated or legitimized with people's, you know, love Compared to all the and others, praise? Right? Yeah. So take us back. I mean, you know, when did you decide to start selling your work and offering your work to the world? And where has your work ended up over the years? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that wasn't as scary for me, I think, as a lot of folks. And same with podcasting, because I've always been kind of a show off, I guess. You know, I think back- (laughs) You ham. (laughs) Well, you know, and it got me into trouble in, in my early days in junior high and high school, because I was a pretty damn good football player and I knew it. And so oh I was a cocky oh, yeah. little asshole. You, you know? were one and, of those guys. Okay. Yeah, and kind of got put in my place. <laughs> People started to like, you know, give me grief about it. And then I banged up my knee and couldn't play. And I thought, oh shit, what am I going to do now? But I've always had that show off mentality that, you know, I like to show everybody what I've been doing. And some of the photos pretty much early on, I just got to go to all these, you know, coming up here, I got some great pics and I wanted everybody to, to see them. So I never was worried about that. And then selling them just seemed like a natural evolution, right? I mean, all these things, you know, I've always tried to do a lot of these things, not to necessarily make a living, but to, you know, pay for the craft at least. And it's been a fun way to get out there and make a few bucks on the side and buy that other lens you want or buy that filter set that you want or that, you know, I needed Lightroom or whatever it is, Photoshop back in the day. What's your setup? What's your rig? I'm a Nikon guy. I've been a, I switched to Nikon early on. I have a, gosh, what do I have? A D800, a D3. I just bought a new Nikon, one of the Z models. I forget which one that is, but all digital, of course. And then I edit in Lightroom. Mm-hmm. My stuff is all on SmugMug, is who hosts my website. I've been with them for years. They're awesome. They connect with a bunch of labs so I can upload my stuff and you can order right from the site and it goes directly to your house. I have everything come here first because I want to check it out. And a lot of times people want it signed, but yeah, just a natural evolution. And the Adobe products are, you know, how, I mean, from podcast oh, yeah. to photos, there it's easy. It's just like a no-brainer. Right, 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 right. Well, well, speaking of jumps, the jump from film to digital, what was that like for you? That was pretty simple too. I think that was, I kind of was waiting for that actually. Because oh, interesting. a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the stuff that I was doing early on, I've been a Mac guy since way back too. When I first... What was the story behind a Mac? I took some course or something where I, one of the, oh, I went to get my master's degree and one of the requirements was to buy a Mac. You had to buy a Mac. And this was in 1984 when they just came out. 
And so I used a big chunk of my, and they were- oh, Big, big price tag. Big price. I used a big chunk of my student loan money to get a Mac. And wow. then once I got the Mac and you started seeing that visual workspace and all those things, I was like, when are they going to get this? When can I put my photos here? This is like, this is a no brainer, you know? Right. So totally. I was I was ready for when that happened and it just, it was seamless. Yeah. Yeah, so you weren't one of these luddite traditionalist photographers that, you know, oh, film, you know, yeah, damn no, progress. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm with you. I, re- I remember migrating because my first job out of high school was as a production assistant at a small press publishing company. And I started there June of 1988. And at that time, you know, the authors were sending in their manuscripts, typed on paper, printed out, and I (laughs) would have to mark it up uh, for the typesetter. You know, Hmm. I would get these long strips of typeset copy, wax machines, cut the galleys, the whole thing. I did that for about a year. And then I discovered that there was this thing, new kind of hot new thing called desktop publishing. Mm -hmm. And so I put a proposal together and convinced my boss to spend the $50,000 that we needed for, you know, this, this machine and the laser printer, which was, you know, at the time game changer in so many ways. And, you know, Adobe 88, I think was the program (laughs) at the time. So you started after Adobe was doing, you didn't have PageMaker. Remember that one? Oh, well, no, I had, well, I had PageMaker. Design Studio was real oh, okay. OG shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. so if you remember Design Studio, that was that's that OG. One. And then PageMaker was right about that time. And then eventually, not too long after, Quark Express became the go-to layout program. For visual people, for creative people, the Mac just changed the game. I mean, it was a costly investment, no doubt, but it was a lot of fun. And it's still a lot of fun. Still a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I've been a Mac guy since day one. Yeah, it's amazing. Love their st- all their stuff, too. It doesn't matter what they put out, you know, from MacBooks to cell phones. It's just like, holy crap, this is okay. Yeah, I'm in, you know. So we've talked about how jealous and envious I am that you get to live in God's country 24 <laughs> seven without me. And uh, they're in Bishop, California. And you've been there, you know, a while now as an artist, as a creative, as a podcaster, so on and so forth. I'm wondering, you know, to what extent you've connected with the creative community in the Mono County, Inyo County area. What is the creative community like there? How, how do creatives support themselves there or support each other there? Yeah, I've lived here off and on over the years because I've always came up here as a kid with my grandfather, but I didn't actually live here. I was working at Eagle Creek probably in the 2000s or in the 90s and uh, coming up to ski and I bought my first property in Mammoth and had a couple condos in Mammoth and then you know, tried to make a living here and it was, it was really hard. It just was really struggling. So I've been bouncing back and forth on the lifestyle side here, but I guess about, God, it's probably 20 years ago now, a friend of mine, same kind of thing. He used to come up here a lot. He was an older guy. He just passed away last year. A good friend of mine, Bob Truesdale, another hell of a great photographer, but he was into taking all these courses and we connected with a guy named John Wilson. I think he's still around. He used to do the developing for Galen Rowell. And he was teaching some photography workshops through the local community college. And we didn't really take his courses to go learn about photography. We took his courses to go get out to all the places he knew to take photos. You know, he turned us on to some amazing spots that we didn't know about. And through that group, he had a group 
I think bishop photographers, I forget what they're called, but they're still around. So I went on a lot of events with those guys, just camping and photographing a lot and and really connected with those guys. But over the years, I haven't spent as much time with them as I used to, but there's a, a strong creator community now, like there is everywhere. I think the creator side of the world has just gotten more formalized. And there's some places in Bishop, there's a Bishop Arts Group and all kinds of things, which I'm not that familiar with. I have a few individual friends that are photographers and things that, that do stuff, creatives, but I'm not that active with the groups anymore. But if you just come up and look, you know, look up the photography groups, there's some studios that have popped up now. I heard of a new studio downtown where you, they have a sound booth so I can go do some recording and stuff. So as I get more into voiceover work, I may go check that out. But there's just everything, painters. You see people out here painting a ton that I never remember seeing before. This last fall, I saw. I think I saw more painters than I did photographers, which was interesting. But it's just you know a lot of different things. I don't know that there are that many podcasters, but there's a lot of photographers, video folks, painters, that kind of thing. Yeah, being an artist, being a creative can be a pretty lonely, singular existence sometimes, right? And well, I'm on the go. Finding a lot too. each I mean, other. I've always, yeah, I've always traveled for work and all that right, stuff. Right, so right. it's, yeah. By the way, I ask in all candor, I ask somewhat selfishly because now that I'm up there more, I want to connect with the creative community in the uh, Mono County area. You know, obviously our friendship is an example of that, but finding our tribe, right? Finding those folks uh, like us who value creative expression and arts and creativity. I'll go do some search and we'll find some stuff to go to, but I've always been kind of a, a solo guy too. Bob and I always used to travel around just solo and do things on our own. We could bolt when the sun is happening. We didn't have to wait and rally the troops kind of thing, you know? Let's yeah. go. We're, the, we're yeah. there. So, yeah. So, talking about selling your work, where might I have seen your work? Have you been published in any uh, magazines or or in any media blogs or? Mm, yeah, I'm trying to think. I've been in, I think I've been in a couple of fly fishing magazines. I've been on some websites. I, I tell you the truth, I haven't really been that kind of photographer, the media kind of guy. Okay. I've sold prints mm -hmm. more than selling selling to media. Uh, I just recently joined the Outdoor Writers Association of America a couple of years ago. Actually won two OWA. awards. OWA. OWA, yeah. yep, great group, yeah. And won a couple of podcast awards last year, which is exciting. Woohoo! They had a full three-page spread of my photo work in there. Nice. But yeah, it's been hit and miss. Most of your customers or most of your sales, to the extent that you sell, comes from individuals. Yeah, individuals, Collect print work. Right, I've right, been. Right. I sold some stuff to a few outdoor brands for catalog stuff, that kind of thing. Okay. So, but you were selling them or licensing them? Because this comes up a lot. I know a lot of artists are interested in usage rights and, of course, get very angry and rightfully so when people use their work and don't have rights to use their work or haven't negotiated something. In your experience with your work, have those deals been usually like a flat fee kind of play to pay kind of a thing? Or has it been more of structured as a licensing deal? Have they just bought the rights out? Altogether, most of the things that I've done brand-wise for media, for catalogs and things like that, have been licensing rights. Okay, but the prints I just sell the prints. Yeah. Got you, got you, got yeah. you. Well, you know, one of the cool things that we've sort of already alluded to, you know, it is such a small world in so many ways. You and I met uh, initially through podcasting. It was one of those really 
good things for me. It was crazy the way we met. Too. It was crazy the way well, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was for me. It was like one of the best things connecting Same. with awesome. you. Well, one of the best things that came out of the pandemic because the re and for our listeners. So I was quarantining in Mammoth. Well, actually, in a place called Crawley Lake, California, which is just down the mountain from Mammoth Lakes and up the hill from Bishop, where you live. And I was on a webinar, a podcasting webinar put on by a company called Polymash in Florida, who I've done work with uh, in the past and work with even today. And the owner of the company, Jurgen Berkessel, shout out Jurgen. Jurgen's doing this webinar and I'm on there listening. And this other person pops up, Rick it Sayez. Was SEO Saturdays. It was SEO Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess if I remember right, you can sort of see in the feed as people were texting or in whatever. The, yeah, I think in the chat window, you can in see the, chat the window where they're from. Yeah. Where they're from. And yeah. up pops Rick says Bishop, California. And I said, that's like 10 minutes from, you know, 20 minutes from my exactly, house or whatever. Exactly. Like, this yeah. is crazy. So I ping you and said, Hey, I'm in Crawley. And you said, Holy shit, man, let's, let's grab a beer. Let's do something. Yeah. And so we met for lunch on the banks of the Owens River there in Bishop. And so we met through our podcasting careers and here we are now. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's amazing. And we met through, I think we became fast friends too, because we were, were very similar in that we were there to learn something, right? We yes. were there to learn about SEO and it was kind of a webinar. And, and that's one of the things I think I remember we were talking about was not only podcasting, but just this whole learning and, and, you know, sharpening the saw all the time, sharpen the saw, sharpen the saw, you know, make it better, make it better, make it better. So, yeah. That's it. That's it. So tell us about your podcast. One of the things that I love about your podcast is that it speaks to my passion for the outdoors. Admittedly, I've only heard a couple of your episodes. I'm not going to sit here <laughs> and act like I listen to every one. Well, there's a lot now, so I wouldn't expect that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true, but it's a B2B industry podcast, right? So, and I'm I'm not necessarily in your industry. I've worked in your industry in the past. So I find it personally really interesting and fascinating for that reason. But tell our audience about your podcast. Tell us about the value that your podcast creates for your audience. It's funny how I got started to podcasting because I was working at LowPro, the camera bay company in the North Bay in Petaluma. They were in Petaluma. I lived in Alameda. So I had a 45 minute one-way commute. And I started listening to podcasts to kill the time and was listening to the Tim Ferriss. So that's when Tim Ferriss was really big. Pat Flynn was starting to get big. And I got laid off from that job. The company was up for sale. And I was one of the last rounds of the layoffs. And I'd been throwing my resume out there and, and trying to reach out, figuring out I was gonna, needed a new job. It wasn't having a lot of success. Got laid off and I thought, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? Somehow just immediately thought of podcasting, not necessarily as a way to make money, but as something to do that will ex get me exposure and eventually land me a job or make money, who knows. And noodling around trying to figure out what I would podcast about, it became a natural to do it on the outdoor industry because at that point in time, I'd been in the outdoor industry for over 20 years. I mean, I started out back in the 80s working at A16 down in San Diego taught at an outdoor school in Palomar, was a river guide on the Kern River for six years, and then got into the traditional retail wholesale side of the biz as a rep and was a sales rep, sales manager, director of sales, product director, all these things. And I grew up, my career started at the time the industry was starting. So 
over that 20 year span, I knew everybody. I knew the founders of the brands. I knew the you know, fellow sales guys, marketing guys, and the Tim Ferriss show. I'm sure folks have heard Tim Ferriss. He does, a, I love his show. I still listen to it. I uh, listen to it every day, Tim. You're doing a great, it's just, it's amazing. And I, I wanted to model my show after Tim because I thought, you know, I could do the same kinds of stories and advice and, and info from my audience that Tim gets from his. And just started, and here we are 315 episodes later, I think it is. The industry has been very generous with their time coming on. Like I said, I can pretty much get anybody. And we talk about everything from, you know, I kind of have a formula. I first want to find out how everybody got into the industry because I think that's interesting. There's been some interesting stories of how people fell in love with the outdoors. And then we talk about some of their favorite gear, what they're doing, whether they're in the sales role or a marketing role or a product role and what that's like, what's what's a day in the life of your business. And then what advice do they have for someone that wants to get into the industry or get into the business? What if someone wants to be a product guy or wants to be a sales guy? How does that work? And so it's super fun. Everybody's been super generous. And it's, I think the industry gets something out of it. I think there's a bit of an entertainment piece because we all like to hear each other's stories. You know, we've been going to the outdoor retailer show forever since that show started in Reno, Nevada. And the, one of the ideas for the show was we go to the show and these days now it's like a high school reunion. I mean, we've all grown up together. We know everybody. There's beers floating around at like three o'clock. And <laughs> as you're walking the aisles, because some of us have been in it for so long, you can't get five feet without having to give somebody a hug, you know, because, yeah. hey, I haven't seen you in a year or whatever. And some of those stories that get told in the aisles are just fantastic. So that was the original plan was to share some of those stories. And now it's morphed into you know, kind of a mix of entertainment, business advice, and sharing stories, but it's just, it's super fun. I love it. What's it called? The Outdoor Biz Podcast. It's on all the places. You can find it everywhere. Yep. Right on, right on. Now that's really cool. So you're talking to CEOs, founders, marketing people, product people, um, I mean, you name it. It's not only traditional outdoor space because I've been you know, I started out in the traditional outdoor space working for Mont Bell as a rep. So that was backpacks and rainwear and all that. And then went to Eagle Creek, which got me into the adventure travel side of the world. So that connected me to a more global group of folks. Then also the travel piece of it, you know, going to trek in Nepal or going to, you know, do a safari in the Serengeti, whatever that might be. So that's the adventure travel part of it. I was lucky to work with Umpqua Feather Merchants for a bit. That's fly fishing. So that connected me to fly fishing. So it's really a wide range of the outdoor space. It's not just backpacks and tents. It's tents and travel and all yeah. the above. This again is yet, you know, another aspect to why I feel so grateful that you and I connected because, in, and it's so interesting how, we connected and the interesting connections that we have as we've got to know each other, because the fact that you were with Eagle Creek, I mean, I remember when Eagle Creek came out because I was working outdoor retail at the time for an outfitter called Indiana Camp Supply in Northwest Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. And, and I remember when Eagle Creek came out and it was just this cool range of products. And then it wasn't long before the Eagle Creek round tripper came out. And <laughs> yeah. wow, Rick, I still use my Eagle Creek round tripper wow. to this day. I, used I will it tell a few the owners ago. that. I would tell the founders that. I'm good friends with the founders. I will Please tell, them that. tell them that because when the <laughs> when the round tripper came out, and you have to meet them because they have a place in Swell Meadows, so you have to meet them. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. 
two of my friends got one before I got one. And I saw how functional, how flexible and adaptive it was. And I said, I got to get one. And so I got a black one. And I probably got that in 92, 93. I don't even know, yeah. like early well, 90s. Yeah, yeah, or earlier. Maybe, and yeah. I yeah. still use it to this day. This thing has held up. <laughs> it's been all over the world with me, 40 countries, right? Yeah, yeah. And it is just a fantastic product. And Eagle Creek is such a cool, beloved brand. And the fact that you were there at the time that I was loving it so much. And, you know, here we are now, 30 years or whatever. That was a great run. I was there 10 years. Amazing. Yeah. 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 Super fun. It's a great industry. It's like I say, it's, we're all kids and here we are, however many years later, it's, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry now. It's crazy. So why, I mean, you've been on the on the ground for a long time there in the in the biz. And I mean, I have to ask, in your opinion, why do you think the industry has not done a better job of bringing in people of color, for example, into the industry? I mean, it is as white as it ever has been, it seems to me. Uh, I'll tell you, it's improved a ton in the good, last good. 10 years. Yeah, it's improved a ton. It's gotten a lot better. Yeah, there's a lot of groups now, specific you know, groups that are you know, forming to bring folks of color in. I think it's a lot more diverse than it used to be. It's still pretty white, but it's a lot more diverse than it used to be. And I you know, I think it's kind of like the way America was. I mean, you know, America is just kind of, it's just now, how many years has it been since we've really been accepting of everyone? It's, it hasn't been that many years yet. It's oh, wait, we're new. accepting still, of everyone? <laughs> well, No, no, you and yeah. I are, but we're the exception, right? The sad part is we're going backwards right now. I know. I think, well, that's you know, the, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I only bring it up because it is a, a real issue for a lot of different reasons. I was for a minute I was on the board uh, for a couple of years. I was on the board of an environmental organization. I won't mention the name. Great organization. I just don't want to, you know, identify them, you know, here in this context. But I was, you know, one of my sort of soapbox, I guess, that I would get on at the board meetings is that, you know, guys, if we don't make the environment relevant to kids of color in the city who have probably oftentimes never see, even seen a fucking tree, the environmental movement doesn't have a chance because the rich white people who have been supporting the environmental movement for the last, you know, 40 years, 30 years are getting older and dying off. And, you know, if you don't make yourself relevant to kids of color from urban environments, you may not have a future. We may not have a future, you know, because they are the future. Kids are the future. And so anyways, that issue, though, while it was kind of specific to the organization I was involved in at the time, you know, in the environmental movement, you know, it does apply to the outdoor industry in some ways. Yeah, well, it was very white for a long time. It's funny when I graduated, well, in order to graduate college, I got my degree in outdoor recreation. I had to do an internship and I found an internship down in San Diego at Palomar Mountain. And they were just putting together this race human relations program, RHR they called it. And they had a, they had a school at Palomar Mountain where they would bring these kids up, these six a six rate camp, bring these kids up for a week, and we bring kids up from all different parts of the city and mix them together. So there'd be an inner city school, a La Jolla school, oh, you know, that's cool. another school, and mix them all up. So we did these these, you know, RHR programs to help, you know, coach everybody and teach everybody how to work together, get together. And then we also took them out and did all this outdoor stuff. They had to do a one all day hike during the week. We did pond biology and all these things. So that was a pretty cool program. But then, 
you know, you would, I would go back and work my weekend job at age 16 and it was all white people, you know, so you're very spot on, but I'm happy to say that it's changed a lot. It's still evolving, has a long way to go, but it's getting better. Yeah. It's interesting though. Like so many industries, the outdoor industry has enjoyed extreme growth. I mean, it's done well and they're making money. And so part of what I'm getting at is sort of like innovation, bringing more people in. But if you're fat and happy, you may not care, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think like a lot of industries too, it's it's a combination of fat and happy and maybe they weren't so fat and happy, but back in the day, everybody was just grinding, right? They're just grinding away. They're just working, working, working. And next thing you look up and go, wait a minute, where are all these, how come we're only white people? You know, what's going on here? And so I think there's a little bit of that too on, on a lot of different, I mean, look at we had to create a program to bring kids together. You know, this was back in 1980, 83. So we've come a long way as a society. 315 episodes of your podcast. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, well, that's, that yeah, that's is a lot. lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Every Tuesday, so in, baby. Every Tuesday. Well, we, what about a half hour, 45 minutes? Uh, how yeah, long it, are we running? I don't have a time limit. It goes, yeah. good friend of mine, Doug Robinson, who's a world-renowned rock climber and author. He wrote the, back in the day, the first Chenard equipment catalog. Doug wrote the Clean Climbing Manifesto that oh, that catalog wow. opened with. So, That's and he cool. and I worked together at Montbell. He's he's a good friend of mine. We talked for like an hour and twenty minutes. So, yeah, I don't yeah. have a limit. <laughs> right, 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 right. Who's your favorite guest so far? Oh man, I don't know if I have one. It's been... <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot, but I mean, when <laughs> no, you think really, about, I mean, yeah, I don't have one. I mean, everybody, like I say, it was just a matter of it was serendipitous. You know, I was sitting there driving along, thinking, "What the hell am I going to do?" Now I'm laid off, and then I was noodling around home, thinking, "How." How am I going to do a podcast? What would I talk about? And the whole, it just, be, it just was automatic. Well, I'm going to call all my outdoor friends. And here we are 315 episodes later, you know, the first one was obviously people that I knew very well and I was close with, but as it grew and grew and grew, I mean, people call me now. I have this one program where a lot of times I'll get a call from someone and a brand that's got a new CEO or a new something that's timely and they want to jump the line, so to speak and whatnot. So I charge them for those. I mean, there's a fee to jump the line and get your guy in front and talk about specifically your business launch, but it's just, it's just phenomenal. But still, there's a lot of people that just so many friends I haven't had on yet, you know, and, and new friends that I make all the time. And now there's other podcasters, you know, I'm glad to see that podcasting is a thing in the outdoor space. It's still, you know, has a long way. I don't, I don't think the brand branded podcast have, have taken off like they can or will. I'm sure they will. I mean, every brand will have a podcast eventually, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's that is cool, man. That is cool. Super super lucky. I mean, I was just so fortunate to be at the formative time of the industry. It's been awesome. Well, and if it wasn't for podcasting, you never would have met me. I mean, that's this right. Is, you know, <laughs> Learning SEO. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, we yeah. Probably, I think we would have we would have met somewhere along the line. Uh, at the bar. Uh <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Down in LA somewhere. I just stumbled into one of your events or something or <laughs> Something would have happened. <laughs> I'm glad it did, though. It's hard to keep troublemakers apart, you know? I mean, we, that's we right. find that's each right. other one way. To, and there's a lot of troublemakers in the outdoor industry. Like, that's one of the, you know, having been mm. in, you know, in and out a little bit of the industry over the years, a lot of fun, oh a lot God. of fun people yeah. in the outdoor industry who like to cause a little trouble along the way. <laughs> yeah. it's, t it's tamed down, I can tell you, though. I remember back, sure, sure. back in the day. I mean, I've been in it yeah. now for... Oof, 20, 30 years and the early starts of it, some of those trade zones were just crazy. I mean, you know, <laughs> crazy. They're in Reno, Nevada, of all places, you know, I mean, it's pretty hard to not get in trouble in Reno. 
And then I remember when yeah. we went, moved from Reno to Salt Lake City, when we moved to Salt Lake City, that was back when you couldn't have a dr- two drinks on the table at once in Salt Lake City. So we right. go from Reno to that and everybody's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. How did you know, this happen? Why did we come here? Right. So what right. do you mean I can't have another one or I can't have a double? <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah, Yeah. Salt Lake City is such an interesting place. I've only been there twice, I think. But that idea, and I don't know if they still do that, but you'd walk into a bar and if you're not a member, you couldn't buy, you know, but then, but, but somebody could sponsor you. So you literally, somebody at the bar would go like, I sponsor him and you could get a drink. It was very, No, you know, the other thing about bars, you couldn't have a drink without ordering food when we first went there. Right. Right. I remember that. And you couldn't have two on the table at the same time. Right. Yeah. Now, has that changed? Have they relaxed some of that? That's changed. Yeah. It's way more relaxed now. It used to be, and I think that what changed it was the outdoor industry come and bring in that show there in the Olympics. When the Olympics showed up, you know, all these folks coming from Europe are going to, you know, what do you mean I can't have like three shots? Give me three shots, you know? Right, right, right. And so that changed a lot. No, I got my master's from BYU. I didn't know that. That's incredible. Okay, cool. Right on. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, faith, values, morals, ethics aside, the Mormons have proven themselves to be very smart business people. They are not going to leave that money on the table. Exactly, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Well, yeah. it's funny. I got a call actually the other day from Salt Lake City. Actually, really kind of touching call. Totally unexpected. But in 2019, we produced the Not Real Art Conference for Creators, which was a, a one-day learning event for artists to come learn, share, and grow. And we had multiple panels and speakers and. Topics we covered included marketing your art, licensing your art, protecting your art, pitching your ideas in Hollywood, et cetera, et cetera. And then we had sort of keynote speakers, artists that gave sort of TED-like talks, you know, 20-minute kind of little keynotes. And so it was a great event. We had like, you know, I don't know, 200, 220 people come through that day. And it was just fantastic. And we're going to do it every year. We're going to do it every year. We had to cancel in 2020. We're actually going to launch a new educational series this year called Smart Talks. And then we are bringing the conference back in 2023. So I say all that to say, I got a call from Salt Lake City the other day from this artist, Elias. And Elias was saying to me, I'm calling you from Salt Lake City. He said, I own a gallery we're going to have a conference and I wanted to talk to you about your conference because I was there. It changed my life. And the reason I'm having this conference is because you had a conference that helped me so much. And I was just like, Oh, that's awesome. I mean, you know, like this is why we do it right. To help people create value for people. Our core constituency, of course, are artists. So the idea that we could have done something that was so relevant, value added, uh, that now we have offspring, right? They're in Salt Lake City, you know, creating their own conference. That was really cool. So I told him, I said, we would, you know, I couldn't help myself. I said, well, do you need a sponsor? I said, I'll be your first sponsor. <laughs> you know? There you go. There you and go. So yeah. I may be going up to Salt Lake City. I think he was saying the, the conference is going to be in late March. And he sort of intimated that he might want me to come speak at it. So I, I don't know. We'll oh, see. totally. You got to. You have to, right. man. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. No, Salt Lake City has changed a lot since I went there in 1984 for my degree. But then even then, in the, I think the show went there, gosh, sometime in the mid-90s or something. But it's changed a lot. And then we left there because of the Utah politics on public lands. You know, we said, nope, we're going to Denver. You guys keep, you know, mucking up the lands. We're out of here. So, 
what they just want to protect them or what was no, the issue? they allow all the hunting and, and yeah, all yeah, the drilling yeah. and you know this they just overdevelop them and they don't protect them and they just use the crap out of them you know there's they have some great national parks in that state but they also have some lands that are just ruined for you know radioactive waste for years you know that area around moab is a mess so that's why we left and they've been they would love to have us back but not happening till they change the politics right right well, you know, God gave us dominion over the earth, man. You know, <laughs> we're sure using the crap out of it. That's amazing. Uh, you know, I don't know anything about religion. I'm a born again pagan. Don't ask same. me. Yeah, same. Well, I tried a couple times and <laughs> no, not happening. Not happening. Although I would join a sex cult. <laughs> I, I don't have that. any problems. I keep waiting to be proselytized, to be evangelized, <laughs> but it's not happening. I don't know. Yeah. You got to change your thoughts, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Please, somebody yeah, right, ask me yeah. to join a sex cult. Oh, that was the one thing that I loved about going to BYU. I was a little worried about was they don't recruit you at all. You're there to get a degree, and they that's why they go on their missions. Is that's where they do yeah, their right, recruiting. Right. So it was a great place. It's got a great education. It was awesome. What was your master's in? Outdoor recreation. Both of my degrees are in outdoor recreation. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I did not know that part. That's that's cool. Yeah. Once I learned you could get a degree in outdoor rec and everything else was over. It's like, you kidding me? That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Two times in my life, I thought I was going to get kicked out of the family. One was, you know, out in Fontana, California, back in the day, you went to work at the steel mill, Kaiser yep. Steel. That was a big yep. steel plant. And my dad worked there. My grandfather worked there. And I remember in high school, one summer, they were all excited because I was like, eligible now, like it's old enough to get a summer job out there. And they said, come on, we'll take you on a tour, you know, and you can check it out. So we went out there. It was one of those hot, windy Fontana days and, you know, that dust and shit was blowing all around and it was hot. And we came back and we're all family having dinner. My grandfather's there and they said, okay, what do you think? And I was like, there's not enough money in the world that would get me to work out there. <laughs> I thought they were going to throw me out of the family. And uh, the second time was when I told my dad I was changing my degree from architecture or engineering to outdoor rec. I thought he was going to kick, no more money for you. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. <laughs> but it worked out off. okay, I guess. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Well, and I'm, I'm smiling and laughing for several reasons. One is because I was uh, also born in a steel town, Gary, Indiana. Oh, yeah. And Bethlehem yeah. Steel, Inland Steel, U.S. Steel. I mean, you yeah. know, they were all there. My grandfather, my dad worked at all those. God bless the steel yep. makers. They build our world. But I knew that that was not for me at all. Not and, for me. But being in Northwest Indiana, sort of near Gary and Port, I mean, we were on the Indiana Dunes lakeshore, right, of, of Lake Michigan, right? So we were right on the coast of Lake Michigan. And so I could literally go to the beach and ride my bike to the beach and look across the water and see Chicago. Nice. Right? Oh, wow. The, the, cool. the skyscrapers. So for me, you know, that was my siren call. Yeah. I was like, you know, that's where I, that's where the excitement is. That's where I want to go. And yeah. ended up, you know, getting there. Famously, we would ditch school, take the train in and, you know, run around the city, <laughs> you know, <laughs> cause a bunch yeah. of trouble. But yes, yeah, so it is so interesting figuring out your path, figuring out your journey. I mean, I knew... You know, I remember getting into a big fight with my high school guidance counselor because she wanted me to declare a major. And oh, wow. I was like, I'm like, I'm 17 years old. Like, I don't know what I want to do. Like, you know, like I'm going to college. I'm going to get my general ed done first. Then I'll declare a major. And eventually, you know, figured I would I wanted to work in marketing and graphic design. And I ended up getting a double major or whatever. 
my career largely has been what I call visual communications or, or, or marketing communi- communications, really. And so here we are, you know, podcasting now, you know, all these years later. But Oh, man, I stumbled into all this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I was, I was going to school for uh, civil engineering, architecture, civil engineering. Right, right. Boring. <laughs> well, and I was, you know, one of these kids who was able to get through high school without studying. So I got to college. Smarty pants. Study. No, yeah. I got to college almost flunked out. They told oh, me you need okay. to go to they you need to go to a junior college and get your grades up or you're gonna flunk out. Got you. So I got went to you. a JC and took an environmental biology course and a wildlife law enforcement course. And the environmental biology course, the teacher, the instructor had a slideshow of Glen Canyon. The last time it was not full of water back in the 70s or whenever that uh-huh, was. Uh-huh. And I just saw that and just thought, oh my God, that's amazing. So then I realized that there was this outdoor thing somehow that I could piece together. Looking through the catalog to go back to school, once I got my grades up, I saw outdoor recreation. Boom, that was it. Done. When did does that, the organization, did, does the name Wilderness Education Association, W-E-A, mean anything to you? I've heard of that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah they're from that. back east or whatever, but they were an organization that a friend of mine was involved in that apparently was, if I recall, involved in helping to write a lot of the curriculum that was taught in outdoor recreation oh, programs. Cool. Mm-hmm. It's conceivable. You might know the name Paul Petzold. Oh, yeah, I know Paul Petzold. The Petzl. climber. Yeah. Right. his books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Great yeah, yeah. Books. So Paul started the WEA. First aid books and all that. Yeah, right, 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 right. So he started the Wilderness Education Association. And so anyway, you may have been reading some of that stuff. But yeah, what a cool, I mean, I get it, man. Outdoor recreation back then was one of four options in recreation, right? You could get a recreation degree. You could choose outdoor, therapeutic, uh, I forget what they call public, the city, the city administration, recreation stuff. And then it was a fourth one. So there was, and I obviously chose outdoor, but yeah. So a lot of that outdoor stuff came from that. I remember, so it was like a subspecialty in some ways. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the outdoor rec courses I took, one of Paul Petzl's book was a requirement. Yeah. A lot of that stuff was. I mean, I got to, you know, we one of the courses we circumnavigated Catalina Island, backpacked mm. it. We took, mm. you know, all the, it was, I mean, granted it was, there was some educational stuff that went on, but it was, and I, I kind of, I've always had a more of a, a business angle too, because I remember in my master's program, I had designed this outdoor adventure camp retail deal that, you know, that was kind of my thing. And it's funny that I gravitated towards A16 and river guiding and all that. But yeah, it's it's amazing how you, those those themes that are formed early on and they weave into your life somehow. Absolutely, man. I mean, you know, the outdoors changed my life. I mean, you know, I was a city kid, as I already kind of mentioned, right? You know, out Jason to Chicago. And I started working at this publishing company I mentioned earlier, and the books that we published were outdoor books, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We went on a company trip. We took a company trip with our bunch of our authors to northern Manitoba and chartered a bush plane in, camped out for a few days, and then canoed out 120 miles down the Churchill River to Hudson Bay. And I'm 19. I never slept in a tent. You know what I mean? Like this wow, was like yeah, trial right. by fire, wow. you know, changed my life. It was just like, you know, yeah. this is the best thing that ever happened to me, man. You know, because yeah. yeah. there's something I, you know, when I look, it's interesting because, you know, people say to me, well, you love wilderness, you love nature, you love being out of doors, yet you love the city too. You know, how, what gives? And I say, well, it's kind of the same thing. And they, they sort of look at me strangely and I say, well, you know. In the out of doors and nature and wilderness, 
you get into trouble, you scream your head off for help. No one will hear you. In the city, <laughs> when you get into trouble and you need help, right. you can scream your head off for help and no one will help you. You know what I mean? So right. it's this kind of right. the same fucking yeah. thing. No, no. But the, but the point is just that these kind of environments are sort of pure, right? Like they're sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, they are what they are. They're intense. They're, you know, sort of unforgiving, right? Unforgiving. Well, it's funny. I think, you know, for someone living up here now, as long as I've lived up here and been up here, it's almost like the issues have reversed, right? I'm up here. There's no, I can't, there's, I can't, there's nothing going to hurt me. I can't get into trouble. Whatever happens is something that I did, not something that some animal or somebody else did. You go to the city and it's a jungle. It's like, it's the wild, wild west. You know, there's all these things that, you know, or, and that's not, it's, I'm being a little more, you know, dramatic than it, that it really is, but it's almost. Well, almost no, 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 you're not. I mean, listen, I lived downtown Chicago through all of the nineties and lived two blocks just around the corner from Cabrini Green, you know, one of the you know yeah. big mm-hmm. projects there and, you know, never worried about getting mugged shot ever. I even got carjacked at one point, And when I got carjacked, I just, I never even was worried about getting robbed or mugged again because it was such a fluke. It felt like such a fluke. I'm like, I was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Shit happens, you know, but Chicago, since I've moved to LA, gun violence has gone up. I mean, crime is, I mean, it is a shit show, very different city now. So you're not wrong. I mean, it's definitely in LA. I mean, the, you come down here, man. I mean, it's apocalyptic. Some of these areas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it. Yeah. I'm going to come back. <laughs> I'm ready to. Hey, man. Come on back. Hasn't changed. Oh, man, the river's oh, man. still there. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's a little cold right now, but that'll pass. That will. There's no this such thing as bad weather, only bad gear. You know, we know that's this. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, and the weather even, I mean, the weather's been, we got snow a couple, a few weeks ago. That's all melted off now. And I think it's like 60 all this week. It's amazing. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So that's, yeah, the snowpack. Because. We had like four to five feet, give or take, around our place in Crawley. And then up on the mountain, they had 10, 11, 12 feet or whatever, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. a few weeks ago. But I had I mean, a sad day this week. So my knees are hammered from, you know, hurt them early on playing football and all the years of abuse, outdoor activities and stuff. And I gave away all my skis this week. I just, I just realized, oh. you know what, skiing is no longer in my future. So it was, and I did, I backcountry skied the sierra all over the place and it's it was sorry tough, to hear that man that's tough yeah you know yeah. what it's uh, it is what it, i had fun that's i don't regret yeah. it at all and you know my knees are well used right and you you it sounds like you said you said you gave them away i gave them to a friend of mine yeah i gave them to somebody who could then pass them on and nice because they're nice. still they're just old but they're still yeah. skiable you know yeah, 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 they were yeah. cutting edge 10 yeah, 15 right. years ago so you know well, it is. I mean, that is, you know, listen, I mean, you know, I was telling somebody today, you know, I'm f- 51 now and not, that's not necessarily old, but I'll tell you what, You're a kid. I don't feel like I felt at 41. I don't feel like yeah, I felt yeah, at 31. Yeah. I don't feel like I felt at 21 by a long shot. And it is amazing how, you know, you, you don't, you don't really, when you're younger and you're coming up, you don't, you know, you remember your parents talking about the aches and pains or whatever, but it's just, you can't, it doesn't make no sense. Like you don't really understand that the fact that your youth is propping you up so much. Yeah, but what I love about it, though, is that your youth, like your youth was a lot like my youth, probably. You took advantage of all the opportunities, right? I mean, I just did it all. So I'm, 
you know, I hope I go to the grave. This thing is, you know, I hope both shoulders are killing me and my <laughs> knees are killing me. And my That means I did it right, right? That's right. I, That's I right. put good miles on this stuff. That's I had right. fun. I, I traveled around the world, you know, all these things. I beat the shit out of myself. Time yeah. to go. I used to joke that when I die, I want to, I want to, I want to die. I want to slide into death like the third base runner trying to take home plate, <laughs> the bottom of the ninth of that's the World it. Series. Yep, uh, yep. You know, like, like, come on, man, live like you mean it. You know, that's it. Yep, yep. Earn it. Earn those aches and pains, man. So you've got this amazing environment you live in. You have such talent to express yourselves art- artistically. You know, it's a new year. 2022, as you look out this year, what are some of your goals for your photography, goals for your life? How are you going to stay inspired creatively in 2022? Oh man, that's a tricky question. I don't feel, I don't feel like inspiration is my challenge. I feel like I am, and a lot of it's because of where I live, a lot of it's because of the space I'm in and the the people I've been fortunate enough to grow up with in the industry. You know, I'm just inspired by what these people do every day. You get up here and see the sunrise and the sunset and you're inspired every day. I think for me, it's just to continue grinding on the entrepreneurial side of the world, trying to make a living. I mean, unfortunately, I still have to have a day job to pay the bills, but my big goals are to convert all this stuff into that living, which, you know, it's, it's, I don't need much. I'm, you know, I've been single my whole life. So, and I want to be able to, you know, I don't want to make the kind of dollars and the kind of job that's going to take me away from all these things I get to do. I want to keep doing all that. So that's really my thing is just to, you know, continue to go out and take great photos, continue to share all the great stories of the outdoor space. Voiceover is kind of going to be a new thing for me. I've gotten so much positive feedback from the podcast that I'm going to start getting into that. Again, again, mostly hopefully in the outdoor space because there's so much great content being created, whether it's a new video or a new narrative that somebody's doing. Hopefully I can help them with that. But yeah, just continue to keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, it's just been so much fun. And, and every time I've gone back to the grind – to go get a job as an executive or get a job as a whatever, it's just, it's not good. It hasn't worked out for whatever reason. And I find myself back here to Bishop and I think the entrepreneurial spirit is, my grandfather was an entrepreneur as well. He had a a little trailer supply place for a while and he was always tinkering. He invented, he was a golfer and he invented this thing for the wrist to keep your wrist straight on on your swing. So I have that uh, blood in me. So I'm always kind of, I'm not necessarily tinkering with products, but tinkering with podcasts and photography and those kind of things, that entrepreneurial thing. So that's kind of my goal is to continue to drive that in hopes of being able to, in my senior years, as I get older, that's going to pay the bills and I'm just going to continue to have fun. So for our listeners who want to find your work online, because, and by the way, uh, you, they absolutely have to, I mean, it's just <laughs> fucking gorgeous stuff. I mean, and you know, I meant to kind of go through some of these, specifics because like some of these landscapes i mean they're just off the charts i mean yeah well they're all off the charts but i mean <laughs> it's incredible now i want to ask you about sunset from sky rock where's sky rock well that's a sensitive subject because it's you know now that there are more and more people have come up here that's been desecrated a bit oh sad. so i would probably have to take you there yeah and make it sign and swear something 
that you would never take anybody else there unless you were, you know, because it's it's like everything else. So now a lot of times in my photography, I try, I always forget, but I try to turn off all the location stuff because I don't, I don't want anybody to go back there and find it, unfortunately, yeah. because, you know, I've been photographing up here long enough to remember there was never anybody there. And now you go out for fall color and the car, the, the place where you want to go stop, the car, the road is lined with cars on either side. There's nowhere to park. Yeah, it's just, right. It's kind of, and it's just, you know, well, we have too many people in the world. What are you going to do about that? But it is what it is. But Skyrock is, you know, there's a lot of native history around here in the yep. Owens Valley. And yep. that's one of those spots where that's where their newsprint is. I don't know the details of how or why it's there, but it's pretty phenomenal. It's incredible. Why, you would never stumble on it because it's on top of a huge boulder. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to know where it is. But yeah, it's just a fantastic evening. Yeah, incredible, man. Yeah, I, and I there's still have... stuff I can take you to places where you you're then they're they're not so secret. You, I mean, it's amazing how much of that there is around here. It's pretty surprising. Yeah, it's just right there. It's just right there. <laughs> yeah. If you have the interest, the curiosity, the intent mm-hmm. to go find it. Well, out. a lot of times too, you'll be walking along you know, and just stop and slow down, and you'll see it. You know, yeah, you know, right. Just, well, they, well, if we get pull our heads out of our phones for five seconds and go pay attention and you know where you're standing, but you're, yeah, your use of light. I mean, even this snack in the airport lounge, even this is telling a story, my friend. <laughs> I mean, this <laughs> that one. I was just waiting for my damn plane. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, what the hell? Over. I was bored. Right. I was like, what am I gonna do? I like, well, let's take some shots. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's I'm, the thing. You, know, you have to be yeah. opportunistic. You know. That's right. That's right. That's right. I mean, sometimes you go out and you look for things and it doesn't show up. And sometimes you'll be sitting there and go, oh, well, hey, look at that. And the beauty these days is even if you don't have your camera gear with you, you can use your phone. I mean, these these iPhones, unbelievable. Before we sign off, I have to ask, have you seen The Alpinist on Netflix? I have not seen that yet. Yeah. Okay. I got yeah, it's yeah, on the yeah. list. I've I've scrolled past it. I gotta watch right. it. It's yeah. a must see. I mean, that dude, wow, what an animal. <laughs> you know, they're like, doing some amazing things. I mean, it's incredible what they're doing these days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rick says, my friend, you are true blue. I am so grateful for this. And I pinch myself sometimes how lucky I get your proof of my luck. And uh, I appreciate you coming on, man, and and sharing. Tell our listeners where they can find you online to check out your photography because it is absolutely stunning. So the best way is to go to rickseys.com, R-I-C-K-S-A-E-Z. I've been mispronouncing your name the whole time. Thank you for not correcting me. <laughs> no, you know what? It's, it's, it's a funny story about that. So I always grew up learning it was Says. Okay. And my sister and I, you know, says Karen says and one day I was calling them to leave a to call my folks and they had a message answer machine and they said this is the says residence I'm like what the fuck is that and so then I talked to my sister like a week later and I said hey when did we change this pronunciation of our name and she says yeah I was going to ask you the same thing so it uh, says says it doesn't matter whatever <laughs> you know <laughs> apparently it didn't matter to them so it doesn't matter to me thanks for being cool about it you know it's funny because people so my last name is power 
And forever, people have said powers. Later in life, I guess, you know, I, I don't correct people. I don't. People say, well, why don't you correct? I'm like, are you kidding me? I've been called so much worse. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like, right. Right. Not a big deal. You if know? you come up with says or says, you are doing better than 70% of the rest of the world, <laughs> let me tell you. So. Well, good. That's about my average my whole life, about 70% better than most. Yeah. Yeah. Or even better. But yeah, go to ricksays.com. There's three links there. Listen, look, and learn. Listen is the podcast. That takes you to all the podcast episodes. Look takes you to my photography. You might have to do one more click to get to the main site, but that'll take you to my photography, or you can go to ricksaysphotography.com. I think that points you there too. And then learn is just about some of the coaching and educational stuff I do around podcasting. And there's soon to be another link called voice, which will be linked to my voiceover stuff. So yeah. you, yes, you do have a very sexy voice, my friend. Uh, <laughs> well, you yeah, take that I've to the bank. Told that a lot. Thanks. That's what people have been saying. So I took some voiceover uh, classes and signed up with some folks. So we'll see what happens there. Where did you take classes? Because I think you, we even texted about that a little bit. What did you end up doing? Bit, Where yeah, did yeah, you- yeah. It's called the Great Voice Company. Okay. And they're out of the east, out of uh, the New York area somewhere. Susan Berkeley is the woman's name. Wow, cool. she was a she was a radio way back in the day. She worked on the Howard Stern show, mm-hmm. and then eventually got into voice. And she's got a she had a boot camp I took, and then again she gave me great feedback. So I thought, well, I probably should pursue this. It sounds like it's something. So. That's great, man. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, that's super cool. Thanks. You have to come back in a year's time or sooner and tell me how that's going because that's a whole well, new yeah, world. Well, yeah, maybe I'll, uh, you can hire me to do your next intro for your show. Or you there know. you go. God knows I need the help. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. your I did. show sounds great, man. Come on. Well, thanks so much, brother. I appreciate that. And it, it especially sounds great with amazing guests such as yourself, and I'm thrilled for it. We'll sign off. When you coming up here, get your butt up here. Well, yeah, I'll come back. Yeah. Just so you know, yeah, my wife and I were actually discussing that the other day and we were saying, we did come up, as you, as you know, we came up a couple of weeks ago with my sister-in-law and my nieces and we came up for the MLK weekend and it was a quick, we came up Friday night, we left Monday morning, so it was kind of a quick turn. But Channing and I were talking about trying to to get up there like for a week, just to, but just her and yeah. I leave the kids here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just go there and work because we have some work to do. I'll look forward to that. I'll let you know. I'll keep you yeah, posted. Hopefully it's soon. Yes. I, mean, I, I, I could agree more. All right, my friend. Thanks so much. You have a great night. Thanks. Rick says, Rick says. Thank you, guys. Thank you, pal. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.